0: book of Acts, chapter number three. And um, I have had a great time preaching to all of you this week, and you have all been incredibly kind to me and to my wife, and we want to thank you. We want to thank you for um, feeding us, and we want to thank you for housing us, and we want to thank you for being nice to us. And um, the biggest thing I want to thank you for is for taking good care of the Lejearnes. And I really mean that. Um, he uh, he has said so many wonderful things about all of you. And uh, we, we talk a lot, you know. And uh, he said so many wonderful things about all of you. And um, I guess I, I kind of I worry over the lejeunes a little bit. Can you all blame me for that? Because uh, sometimes the ministry can be a little hard on people. And um, I guess I had in the back of my mind a little worry that maybe he was just uh, putting a positive spin on this church, just trying to paint all of you in a good light. But after being here for um, four days now, I can say that he's telling the truth. You are everything he's built you up to be. And I'm going to drive away with a lot of peace in my heart about where where they have landed. (laughs) This is really good. It's really good. I can't think of a better place in the world than you can be than right here, and uh, I'm thankful. So thank you for being so good. Thank you for taking care of us this week, but mostly thank you for taking care of them. It uh, it means the world to me. It really does. Um, I want to preach uh, tonight out of Acts chapter 3, and uh, just to kind of give you a little bit of context as to um, where I'm going with this tonight my uh, my sermon Sunday morning didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the sermons it was just a stand alone uh, does anybody remember what i preached on Sunday morning i'll tell you the god of the mountain is the god of the valley oh yeah that's right that's what you preached on right okay um Sunday night i preached um psalm 2 it's your birthday what do you want and i talked about um your desires and what you crave and what you want in life and and um uh, i i mentioned Sunday night that Uh, To keep that in the context of that quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. That's the theme of our church this year, and I was hoping everybody would really latch on to that Sunday night as we talked about what do you want? What do you want? Um, Monday night, I preached about doing things you think you can't do. Doing things you think you can't do. And that was in the context of expect great things for God, attempt great things for God. Uh, last night, I preached the William Carey sermon, Isaiah 54-2, about, uh, about stretching out the tent and the curtains and lengthening the ropes and deepening the stakes and, and uh, reaching out to people and showing people you love them and pulling them in under the tent, the church, and, and all of that was the, the William Carey quote, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Well, tonight I want to give you one more sermon with that concept in mind of expecting great things from God and attempting great things for God. And the title of the sermon tonight is Living a Life of Low Expectations. Living a Life of Low Expectations. I want to read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And I especially want you to pay attention to verse number 5 when I get down to it. Now, I'll I'll say this, the sermon is actually going to go down to about verse number 9, but I want to hold off on those last few verses until the end. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. That would be 3 p.m. Verse 2, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Verse 3, Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Verse 5, And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. That is the text verse tonight. And he gave heed unto them, expecting, I've got that word underlined in my Bible, expecting, to receive something of them, then Peter said, "Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee." In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want to talk to you about this man that laid at the gate of the temple and uh, living a life of low expectations. Let's pray together, Heavenly Father. I want to thank you for the privilege of preaching tonight. I pray God that you'll help me as I share these thoughts. I pray God that it will help. Uh, motivate somebody to rise above what they think they can be. And I pray God you'll take these thoughts and make it a great challenge to someone tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, let me let me start tonight by by saying something to you that I think will maybe help you out, and uh, and it might it might make you a little bit sad to be honest with you, but um, you generally get what you expect. Am I right about that? You generally get what you expect. Um, somebody might say, there's no good men left. All men are just dogs. You generally get what you expect. Right? Um, Those people the church don't like me. You generally get what you expect. I'm too old to feel good. You generally get what you expect. People just don't get me. You generally get what you expect. All bosses are mean and jerks. You generally get what you expect. On the flip side of that, food in that restaurant is really good. You generally get what you expect. You know, I see a lot of positive things in my boss generally get what you expect most of those people down church are really nice folks you generally get what you expect i think what happens is we we um in order to uh put a cushion around ourselves keep ourselves from getting hurt we lower our expectations and i think it's dangerous to lower your expectations uh because what happens is you lull yourself into a spirit of apathy now before I get into my sermon tonight, I want to take just a couple of minutes here and I want to share a little bit of my testimony with you, and um, uh, just just kind of give you an idea of where where I came from and and um, my my testimony. I, I don't have one of those dynamic testimonies that God saved me off of death row or God saved me out of the you know the rescue mission or that's not my testimony. Uh, here, here's my testimony in a nutshell. I am probably the most average person you've ever met in your entire life. Okay, that really is true, OK? Um, take, for example, my looks, okay? Now I am not so ugly that when I walk into the room that all of you looked over at me and went, "Oh, ah, that's a scary man." <laughs> that probably didn't happen, okay? Probably didn't happen. But at the same time, when I walked in, it's not like all of your husbands are grabbing all the wives saying, "Hey, come a little closer, God, I want you looking at that man. He's just a little too handsome." That didn't happen either. Okay, uh, when, when you look at me, you don't see grossly ugly, you don't see amazingly handsome. You know what you see when you see me? It's okay to say it out loud. Oh man, <laughs> you said that with a little more enthusiasm than I thought you would. I'm average, okay, I'm average. I'm just right there somewhere in the middle, okay, Um When I was a kid, I I liked sports, okay? I still like sports, okay? Um, But um, but I I enjoyed sports, and I I tried to play some sports when I was a kid. And I was usually good enough to make the team. But I was never good enough to where they would ever let the ball near me. Okay? Now, um, I, I can tie my shoes. I can typically walk in a fairly straight line. If you put me on the free throw line, I can probably hit a couple, <laughs> okay? Um, uh, I, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm not so bad that they didn't even want me on the bus. I it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I wasn't so bad that, that uh, it's the worst thing. You know, you we're, were, were scra- scraping the bottom of the barrel to put him out there. I wasn't that bad, but I was never the guy that they want the ball in his hands when the game is down to the last ten seconds. I was never that guy. I was never the guy that they wanted at the uh, up to the plate. In the bottom of the ninth inning, when we when the score is tied or we're down by one run and there's uh, and there's already two outs, I was not that guy they wanted out there. I was not the guy that they wanted to throw the football to me or wanted me throwing the football or wanted me running the football. I was that guy that you know, like in, in junior league uh, sports and, and 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 the NFL, they want the middle linebacker to be the man. In junior league sports, they they you know they would just put me kind of there because there were enough guys surrounding me to make up the difference i was kind of in the middle where they could hide me behind somebody okay but i wasn't good i wasn't bad i was just average average okay in school in school i um i did make straight a's once on a thursday I remember that day as in the third grade on a Thursday, I got an A and everything because half the day was field trip. Okay. Uh, I was, I was never a straight A student. I never was. Um, but I was never like, you know, the, I, I was never the worst kid in the class. Okay. You know, you know where I was? I was somewhere right smack dab in the middle, which is what we all call average. Okay. Uh, and so listen, uh, all, all the young people here tonight. Okay. If you see yourself, as average that's not a bad thing that's not a bad thing not everybody excels at everything and some of us like me don't excel at anything okay um so it's okay listen if you don't if you look in the mirror and you're just not like all wild about what you see in the mirror hello (laughs) hello You can still have a happy life even though you're not the beauty queen or the most handsome person in the world. It, it really doesn't matter that much, okay? So it, it's all right. You can move forward and have a productive life. But, but my, my testimony is this, that I've been average, 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 average at everything in my life, but I'm afraid that even being average, I was headed for a life that was way below average, um, I had some friends that were just really not very nice guys. Uh I had some friends who were who were all constantly trying to get me to do things I ought not do. Um and and, and I've I've always had a sense of humor and, and sometimes people will laugh at you when you do things that are bad you understand what I'm saying here? And my sense of humor enjoyed them laughing at the bad things I would do. And, and even though I've always been average, I was headed to, to a life that was way below average. In my fourth grade class at school, I had the, the record in my fourth grade class for the most paddlings of any student in our entire elementary school. Now that's back when they used to beat you at school. Okay. And, uh, I gotta be honest with you, I don't think it's that bad an idea to start beating kids at school again. Can I get an amen right there? Uh, this going out over social media. Can we like put the rewind button <laughs> record over? Uh, I, I'm not against paddling at school. I think paddling at school is great. It got me straightened out. But I, I held the record in the fourth grade. I got in the fifth grade. And um, uh, they figured that um, paddling me wasn't doing a whole lot of good. And so they started holding me after school detention every day. They'd make me go up to the chalkboard and write sentences on the chalkboard. And and I'd stay an hour after school or whatever writing sentences. And, and that didn't do a whole lot of good. And, and honestly, I think they just didn't really know what to do with me. And I was just a rowdy... Uh, disrespectful kid. And uh, I I was a bad kid. In the uh, sixth grade, in October in the sixth grade, my parents decided to start going to a new church. And um, um, the church we were attending, one deacon stood up in the church service and threatened to beat up another deacon out in the parking lot. And uh, uh, that that literally happened. And by the way, aren't you glad you got deacons that don't beat each other up in the parking lot? Amen. Thank you, fellows, for being above average, Amen. And appreciate appreciate you guys being like that. But in our, that's what happened in our church. And my dad said, you know, it's time to get out of this place. This is crazy. These people are nuts. And um, so there was a church down the road we went to, and they preached salvation. And I was starting to become under conviction over my sin. And there was a lot of them, even though I was just a little kid. I was in the sixth grade. Um, we got down to from October. We got down to uh, to, uh, to January, and we had a snowstorm in our little town, and. um Me and some of my buddies, we went out and we had a little snowball fight in the post office parking lot. And you kind of have to see how the post office parking lot was laid out. It was just a natural place where you could have some snow forts. And we are having a snowball fight. To show how mean I was, I'd take a bucket of water with me. Because if you you take a snowball and dip it in in a bucket of water, it'll pack a whole lot tighter. And you can knock somebody unconscious with that. Okay, and that—that that was my. I hope I'm not giving anybody any ideas here. Please don't do that. I wasn't saved. I didn't know Jesus. You do, amen. Um, and um, so I, I was just really bad. Well, here we're having the snowball fight, and and um, the I guess maybe there was a telephone line down or something like that. And this telephone truck pulls up right in front of the post office, and um, the man that was driving the telephone truck, his name was Benny Kreitzer. He was a deacon in the church where I we had started attending. I didn't know he was at that time. But Benny Kreitzer, he's a big man, big, big, big man, real deep voice, really, really deep voice. And, um, he, um, he climbed up the telephone pole, and he was way up there on top of that pole, and here I was in the, uh, the back parking lot behind the post office watching this guy up the pole, and I looked at his truck, and there was a siren on the truck, one of those yellow lights that kind of goes around and around, and I thought, man, I would love to have that siren. And so I reached in my pocket, and I had a dime, and you know, you can use a dime as a screwdriver and i climbed up on top of that truck and i was down on my hands and knees literally on the roof of that truck and i had my dime out and i was unscrewing the light off of the truck i was going to steal his light i just thought that'd be the coolest thing to have and um and, and i'm so focused on getting those screws out of there and um i didn't realize that he was kind of sneaking up behind me and he said hey i mean shivers went down my spine I turned around. I knew I'd been caught. And he said, uh, "He said you're Curtis King's son, aren't you?" How am I supposed to answer that? That's my dad, by the way. And I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "You've been coming to our church, haven't you?" And I said, "What church do you go to?" <laughs> and he said, it's a "Spring Bio Baptist Church." And I said, "Yes, sir. We, we've been going there." He said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm just, just." I don't know. <laughs> he said, let me help you down from there. And he took me by the hand and he helped slide me down off the truck and um, put his hand on my shoulder and he looked way down at me. He, and he said, what is, what is your name? And I said, Kurt. He said, oh, you're named after your dad? And I said, yeah. And he said, Kurt, he said, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to start praying for you. And Brother Benny, that deacon there in our Baptist church, started praying that I would get saved every day started praying that I would become a preacher. <laughs> I didn't know that until a long time later. That was in January, February 26, 1978. I, I came under such deep, heavy, miserable conviction of my sin that I got saved. I mean, wept my way to Jesus. I mean, I, I was the worst kid in the school. Worst kid in the school. If you'd asked anybody, any teacher, any student who's the worst kid in the school, they wouldn't have had it even stopped to even guess. It was me. And even though I was average, I was average in sports, average in looks, average in, in academics, uh, I was heading down a really, really, really bad path. But there was somebody that had a higher expectation for me. Somebody had a higher expectation. Now, i got to say right now, um, even at preaching, even at preaching, I, I feel like I'm average. I really don't feel like I'm that great of a preacher. I feel like I'm able to take what the Bible says and say, Here, here's what it says. And I'm, I feel like I'm able to explain it. And, and, I, and I do feel like I do it out of a sincere heart. And I think that typically will keep people's attention. Um, but honestly, I, I've heard some great preaching. And my preaching ain't that. Okay, But I will say that I do think God has been able to, to use me to do a few things to point people to Jesus Christ and to point people into a deeper understanding of of His Word because somebody had a higher expectation for me before I even knew what that was all about. I want to tell you right now, I am so glad I'm not in jail tonight. Can I get an amen? I am so glad I'm not on my fifth marriage tonight. I am so glad i got four awfully sweet kids. And I am so glad that I have got friends like Richard Lejeune I can't even begin to tell you how blessed I feel. And so much of it goes back to somebody having a higher expectation for me. Somewhere along the line, I began to have a higher expectation for me. I, I realized one day I'll never be the guy throwing the touchdown pass, and I'll never be the guy on the Dean's list, and I'll never be the guy. You Fabio? <laughs> I'll never be him. But I can do something productive for the Lord. And the sermon tonight is about a man who had very, very low expectations for himself. Now, I want us to talk about him a little bit tonight. He, um, well, let me, let me go ahead and get into the outline if I can. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, write this down: where his expectations took him. Where his expectations took him. Verse number two. Verse number two. It says, and "A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried." whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the temple that's where his expectations took him to the temple now let me give you the good and the bad on that the temple is a religious place obviously why would a beggar go to the temple why would he go to the temple probably because there are typically generous people at the temple okay typically even whether their religion is good or bad, they're typically generous people in houses of worship. Am I right about that? Okay? In fact, the the more off the religion is, probably the more generous they're going to be. Right? Because they're thinking that doing a good deed might earn them a spot in heaven. Okay? So, um, he probably didn't understand all that, but he, he went to the temple thinking that, well, that's where the generous people are. Maybe also he thought that I'm nearer to God when I'm there. Maybe he thought that, I don't know. Now, the bad side, that's the good side, generous people near to God. The bad side is that inside that temple, those people inside that temple had rejected Jesus Christ. They had turned away Jesus Christ. They did not believe in His resurrection. Also on the bad side of it is that inside that temple, there was religion, but it was a powerless religion. Anything that does not have Jesus as the center of it is a powerless religion. And so here's this man, he doesn't understand it all. Now let me take us a step further. The Bible says there that he was at the gate that was called beautiful. So here you have a very ugly situation at a very beautiful place. A big chunk of that beautiful gate, the gate called beautiful, was covered in gold. Okay? Wouldn't you like to see that? Now, had that been in 2017, can you imagine how much security you would have had to have had around that? Okay? But this gate that was called Beautiful, so much of it was covered in gold. That is where he laid. He laid at a place of access. A place where it was right there near, right there near the entrance of where he thought the answer was. I, it kind of reminds me of King Agrippa, Acts 26:28. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He was that close. He was that close. Now, I would also tell you tonight that he had, uh, what you see here is you see two temples. The Bible says our body is the temple, and then he was laying there at a stone temple. Both of them were missing Jesus, and both of them were missing life. The man, the temple, missing Jesus. The stone temple, missing Jesus. The stone temple was missing life. It was nothing but religious ritual. The man temple was missing life. He did not have life. All he had was to be carried there and laid there every day. Just carried there and laid there every day. He probably had some kind of a little basket or some little cup and he would probably lay there and he would just hope that people would walk by and and maybe just throw in a couple of coins. Just throw in some coins. Maybe some other nice little old lady walked by and throw in some coins and, and he would lay there and, and maybe he would think that the more unhappy I look or the more miserable I look, the more coins they'll throw in. Maybe if I groan a little bit, they'll throw some more coins in. If I just lay here and look like I'm really in pain... Maybe he even thought, you know, if I get a cut on my body, maybe if I just let that cut bleed a little bit more than it normally would, then maybe somebody will feel really compassionate on me. But every morning he'd be laid there at the gate of that temple, the beautiful gate, hoping that people would just come by and throw some coins in his little basket or in his little bowl or his little cup. All he expected. That's all he expected. That's what He thought, I'll never get ahead. I'll never own a house. I'll never have a wife. I'll never have anything in my life worth being happy about. I will never be viewed as anyone that is a productive part of society. This is my lot in life. Wow! Where his expectations took him? Let me just say to you something tonight, okay? Your expectations have got to do more than just bring you into a religious building. It's got to do more than that. Okay? Now, being in this religious building is a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm glad you're here. This is where you hear the Bible taught. This is where you hear the Bible preached. This is where you get Christian fellowship. On and on and on. Because you have all the benefits of being in here. But if all if all your expectations do is get you in the building, you just haven't taken it far enough. There's more. There's more. I'm afraid that so many Christians are not doing well in their Christian life is because all they really do is take up their little 18-inch spot on a pew from time to time and probably not even that regular at that. And then we say, well, this church isn't working for me or Christianity isn't working for me. Well, of course it doesn't work. Of course it doesn't work. How many of you are on some kind of medication? Can you raise your hand? All right. I'm on some medication. Okay. All right. I, I, if I didn't take my blood pressure medication, my head would pop off. Okay? I know from personal experience. <laughs> okay? I'm on blood pressure medication. But if I took my my medication tonight before I go to bed, and then I forgot tomorrow night and Friday night and Saturday oh, then I took it Sunday, and then I took it again Monday, but then I didn't take it again for the rest of the week. If I kept going like that, and I went back to the doctor, and he checked my blood pressure and said, "Man, your blood pressure sky high. Yeah, that medicine ain't working. Now that medicine will work, but you got to use it. And let me tell you, church will work. It'll work if you use it, if you do it. Just just put your body in here a little bit every now and then doesn't make it work. Let me give you number two. The second thing I'd like you to see is what his expectations taught him. What his expectations taught him." So, uh, verse 3. Look at verse number 3. Verse number 3 says, And seeing Peter and John uh, about to go into the temple, he asked an alms. Skip down to verse number 6. And Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. So what his expectations taught him. i want to tell you what his expectations taught him. His expectations taught him that the only thing that will help me is money. If you want to do something good for me, there's only one thing you can do for me, and that is give me money. Anybody here tonight see the problem with that? Anybody see the problem with that? Can I just rattle off a few verses of Scripture for you real quick here tonight? I'm just going to rattle these off rapid fire here. Ezekiel thirty-three thirty-one. the end of the verse says, But their heart goeth after their covetousness. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Proverbs fifteen twenty seven, He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. Ecclesiastes five ten, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. James 5, 3, Your gold and silver is cankered. Wow, what a condemning verse. The Bible over and over again talks about greed and talks about um, uh, covetousness and it talks about how money is not your answer, okay? Now, I want to just tell you tonight just very, very plainly, okay, you might think that the answer to the problems in your life is if you just got a raise or if you just have more money or if if, if you just get a better job or whatever, then everything will all work out and everything will be fine. And I want to say to you, that is just not the case. It is just not the case. How many people have won the lottery and then their life was totally destroyed within six months? Because they can't handle it. They just can't handle it. And you might say, oh, not me. I know exactly what I would do with all that hundred billion dollars. Oh, I know what I, no you don't. It'd ruin you. It would ruin you. We can't handle things like that. We just can't. I have found this. I don't know a lot of wealthy people, but I do know a few. I know a few. I know a whole lot of people who are not wealthy. And can I give you an observation that I have made? The very, very few wealthy people I know are really not very greedy. They're very generous. They give away a lot. They give away a massive proportion of what they bring in. Uh, I, I haven't seen that much greed in the few wealthy people I know. But you get somebody that doesn't have anything, and man, they are pinching every... and They are gr- selfish, stingy pastor wants us to give the missions. Has he lost his mind? I do need the missions to give to me. <laughs> you know? I'm just telling you, money is not the answer. But here this man, this man who has been crippled his entire life from his mother's womb, lay there at that gate begging. And his expectations have taught him, I just need more money. Can I tell you one of the greatest influences of my life? I told you about Brother Benny the deacon. Another great influence on my life is a man named Brother Bob, Bob Veed, V-I-E-D, Bob Veed. He was my youth director. I, I had a youth pastor when I first got saved and he was one of those youth pastors that he could play the guitar and he could sing and he could play basketball and, and he could preach and oh, he just had, he could do everything. He left our church and went to a different church and our youth group was left with Brother Bob. Brother Bob had gray hair and he was overweight, couldn't even dribble a basketball. Couldn't sing, or, I mean, his thing was like, oh, please, brother Bob, stop, do it. But he had such an impact on my life. He was a layman. He worked for a, a, a plant called West Vaco. Uh, they made paper as a paper plant. And he was offered every Sunday quadruple time. Quadruple time. Every Sunday. Now just pause and think about that. If he worked eight hours on Sunday, plus a couple of extra hours on Sunday, he could make as much money in one day. As he made Monday through Friday, he could double his salary by working on Sunday. But Brother Bob said, But I teach the teenagers in Sunday school. But I I drive a bus. If I don't drive the bus, who's going to drive the bus? I pick pick up these boys and girls for church. I get to church. I go and I teach the Sunday school class. I go sit and enjoy the, the service. And he usually had somebody to bring down the aisle that he led to the Lord that week. And then I get back on the bus get all the kids together and I take them all home. I go home take a nap. And then I come back to church and just relax and enjoy a Sunday night service. And he said, I can't give up driving my bus. I can't give up teaching the teenagers. And I thank God in heaven that Bob Veed did not bow to the altar of money because I am a product of his life. In 2016, Bob Veed met Jesus Christ face to face when he stepped into heaven. He walked into heaven. And I want to tell you, when he saw the face of Jesus Christ, he did not look at Jesus and say, "Ah, man, I wish I'd worked that overtime. When he looked into the face of Jesus, I'm sure he thought, oh, thank you, God, that I had the privilege of driving all those boys and girls to church every week. And thank God I had the joy of standing in front of a room full of teenagers and teaching a Sunday school lesson every week. So, oh, Pastor, you just, you just don't understand. You just don't. No, I understand. I understand. You have lowered your expectations. Your expectations are so low that you think that that money can make you happy. And I'm telling you, it won't. It won't. It won't do anything. If anything, it'll frustrate you more. I thank God for the impact that Bob Veed had, had on my life. So this man laying there at that gate called beautiful, laying there in front of the temple, that's where his expectations took him. Number two, what his expectations taught him was that money was the answer. But then number three, and I'll close with this tonight, how his expectations changed. How his expectations changed. I didn't read verses 7 through 9 a minute ago. Let me read it right now. This is really good. Verse 7, it says, "And He took him by the right hand and lifted him up And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. Alright, I'm going to read 8 and 9 in just a minute. But out next to that in my Bible, I've got the word immediately highlighted in pink. Okay, boom. It grabs my attention when I turn to that page. And then out the side of it, I wrote, no therapy required. (laughs) No therapy required. Listen. If God would have healed him of his of his condition, if God would have healed him of his condition, but it took him a few months to get full strength in his legs where he could really walk and, and do that comfortably, that would have been a miracle, right? But this guy got such a good miracle that the muscles gained tone, and he even was able to gain equilibrium so he could walk in a balanced fashion. Immediately. That's incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I like that so much. Verse 8. Let me read on here. Verse number 8. And he, what's the next word? And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple. Finally, he gets to go inside, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, praising God, praising God. Praising God. How his expectations changed. What I want to say to you tonight is this: just very simply, the need of your li- of your life is not to have a house that rivals your brother's house. I know it's just eating you alive that you're you you've got a relative that's got a bigger house than you've got, just killing you. Just killing you that you've got a relative that's got a car that's nicer or newer than your car is just killing you, eating you alive. Just killing you. That there's somebody in your family that has a, a better paying job than what you've got, and the jealousy is just, just, just raking you over. You just can't hardly handle it. You can't stand it, and you just think that that oh, if I just had that job, if I just had that house, if I just had that car, if I just had whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm saying to you tonight. That your expectations need to rise on the foundation of Jesus Christ and not on the on the foundation of stuff. Another thing I want to point out about this is the Bible says that Peter and John says and he took him by the right hand. Took him by the right hand. This man he had the ability to rise up, he had the ability to walk, he had the ability to leap. He had the ability to do that, but all after the miracle, somebody had to reach down there and pull him up. Somebody had to befriend him, grab his hand, and pull him And can I tell you that you are blessed to have a pastor that is doing his dead level bet. Every time he sends you a text message, he's reaching down trying to pull you up. Every time he tries to offer you a word of encouragement, he's reaching down trying to pull you up. Every time he's preparing a sermon that you think is just... By the way, do you ever think, he's preparing that sermon just for me, I'm telling you. He's reading my email. He's hacked into my Facebook. Can I tell you that that's true? He is spying on you. And He is preparing those sermons just for you. Through His assistant, the Holy Spirit. Amen. But all those efforts are just trying to reach down and pull you up. Just like Benny reached down and pulled me up. Thank God that you've got some people in your life that care enough to try to reach down and plea, wow, how his expectations changed. A lot of things in the Bible that I'm anxious to get to heaven and find out the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey used to say. This is one of those things I'd love to find out in heaven the rest of the story. What happened to the rest of this man's life? How did the rest of it turn out? But a life that was being lived with very low expectations, now the expectations have changed. Let me, let me close with this tonight. It will take me a few minutes. Um, the, the church where, where your pastor began working with me, Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie, um, I had only been the pastor there just for a few months, and, and my wife and I were asked to go visit the Kelly family, Mike and Shelly Kelly. And, uh, now, just to put this all in context for you, Shelly, uh, worked in the deli. She answered the phone. Anybody want to guess what she would say when she answered the phone? Shelly Kelly from the deli. <laughs> anyway, that's got nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought you'd appreciate that. But, um, uh, Mike had a drinking problem, Mike had a drug problem, and, um, um, went by and, and visited, and, and Mike had made a profession of faith and, and uh, followed the Lord in baptism and, and broke free for a while, but then later reverted back to it and, and then got a little bit of freedom, but went back, and, and he, he just had a struggle. He could not hold down a job. Uh, he, um, I really believe in my heart, I really believe that Mike loved his, his daughters but he just did not have the stability in his life to be a good dad. I think he wanted to. I think the desire was there. Would you not agree with that, Richard? I think the desire was there. I'm sorry, Pastor Lejeune. I think the desire was there, but he just couldn't seem to make it happen. I think he wanted to hold down a good job, but he just couldn't seem to make it happen. And, and it finally came to a head one night, and, um, and Shelley threw him out of the house. Just threw him out. Daughters were thrilled that Dad was gone. He's a pain in the neck. Can't stand him. And um, we, uh, we worked some things to get him to Rockford, Illinois, to get him to the Reformers Unanimous Men's Discipleship Home. It's a Drug and Alcohol Rehab, Biblical Rehab Center. And, and um, he didn't have any other place to go. He had no other place to go. And so he went just because, just because. Didn't have any other option. And um, he got in the program, and um, the folks there were telling me that he was doing really well. And Shelly even went up to visit him one time, and seemed like he was doing okay. And it came time for him to graduate from the program and come home. And all the kids were unanimous. We don't want Dad. And they were begging Mom, can't we find some other place to send him? It has been so peaceful at home without Dad been so nice it's been so good shelly came to me and she said i'm trying to stay neutral about this but just between me and you i don't want him home either he's awful i just can't live with him he's a jerk he has said before that he's gotten victory over it i said well shelly I, I don't really know what to tell you I said, I would love to see you give him another chance. I I really would. But I can't just like force all that to happen. I said, Shelly, it's your call. And she finally just sat down with the girls and she said, I don't want it either. But you know what? Let's just give him a chance. And you know what? They gave him another chance. And it worked. It worked. His eight months away... Saturated in the Bible, it latched on. The the leader of the addiction support ministry at that church uh, moved away a couple years later. Guess who is now the leader of the addiction ministry in that church? It's Mike. Guess who the main lady helper is? Shelly Kelly from the deli. (laughs) And every Friday night, that sweet Christian couple reach out to people struggling with addictions. Their daughter is a student in a good Christian college. And by the way, I want to tell you right now, that little girl was a brat. She was a nasty, foul mouthed brat, is what she was. I remember that night we were over at their house. Her mom would tell her to do something, and she'd say, No! A little boy. If that was my kid saying no to me, they'd do it once. (laughs) But that nasty, foul-mouthed, bratty little girl, just such a sweet girl now. Such a sweet girl. (laughs) So what's the difference? Raising the expectations. Raising the expectations. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Now you might say, Pastor King, I ain't no drug addict. (laughs) I don't need to throw anybody out, but can I tell you what's going on here tonight? I'll tell you exactly what's going on here tonight. Your involvement in this church, what you expect out of yourself is here. It's here. And I'm hoping that all these sermons about expecting great things for God and attempting great things for God will maybe motivate somebody to take your expectations for yourself that are here and raise your expectations here or here or here. You might say, Pastor, I'm 50 years old. I can't be a missionary. No, but some of you 15-year-olds might be able to be a missionary. Can I get an amen? Somebody can drive a bus It's not doing it. Somebody can teach a class that's not doing it. Somebody can sing in the choir It's not doing it. Somebody can expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of getting to preach to this church one more time. And God, I probably sound a little bit like a broken record tonight. Probably sound a little bit like a broken record, just I've kind of been beating on the same drum for four nights in a row, hitting it from a few different angles. But dear Lord in heaven, White Oak Baptist Church is not the only church in this world that needs revival, and we need to raise expectations. We need to take the gospel of Jesus Christ seriously. We need to move forward with a mission. And I pray, dear Lord, that maybe something that's been said in these last four days would bring somebody to another level. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to ask you, if you would just be willing to say, Lord, I want to expect more out of myself. I want to expect more out of myself. You put an open door in front of me and I'll walk through. If you'd be willing to say that to the Lord, I'm going to invite you to come forward for the invitation and tell God that on a bended knee at the altar of this church. I'm going to give the invitation to Brother Lejeune.